0: Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. And today's moment is from the St. Matthew Passion, the final chorale, Wenn ich einmal soll scheiden.
1: As this episode releases, we're coming up on Holy Week. Palm Sunday is this coming Sunday, and some churches do Passion Sunday, instead of Palm Sunday, so we thought it would be appropriate to do the St. Matthew Passion for this episode. Every single year the Netherlands Box Society, the group whose recordings we use on this podcast, performs the St. Matthew Passion. They've done it since 1921 in the city of Narden at the Grootkirk, which is a beautiful church which you can see in the YouTube video of their performance. So the Netherlands Bach Society really started because of this piece. This is such a huge work and very important to a lot of people who love Bach. I would guess that if you asked a group of people who are big Bach lovers and uh, listen to Bach a lot, I would guess the top two large works that would be people's favorite would be The Mass in B Minor and then this one, The St. Matthew Passion. Now, what does passion mean in this context? It is talking about the death of Jesus Christ. So the music is deeply spiritual, but it's not abstract. It's about a very specific day, the last day of Christ. It's all about his suffering and death. It's deeply spiritual, but it's also inspiring, just like Bach can be so much. It's also inspiring to non-Christians, and maybe that's because it's a little taste of Of the sublime, of something a little more transcendent. I mean, I've seen a lot of comments of Bach videos on YouTube. Frequently you'll see people commenting saying, well I'm not religious but this music really touches me. And I'd like to think that this happens a lot and hopefully when it happens it can inspire people to become a little more curious about reading the Bible or figuring out what is this all about because this is an amazing story. Could this
0: be true? And then they hopefully will go look into this. It's definitely true that a lot of musicians of a lot of, from a lot of faith tradition backgrounds or non-religious people are absolutely obsessed with Bach and a lot of times Bach fills that void in a way for people too because it's so clearly passionate about its subject matter, you know. Bach was so clearly passionate about all this stuff, the way he wrote his music and his themes. It's just really inspiring even if you uh, are not a person of Christian faith, you know. Yeah. And it's it's especially true of musicians who typically idolize Bach, you know. And there's even a saying that goes like something like, uh, "Not every musician believes in God, but every musician believes in Bach."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And there are some great interviews that Netherlands Bach Society does a lot for their performances. There's some great ones specifically from the Saint Matthew Passion, and you can always find these links in the description of their videos for their performances. And there's one where the director, Josef van Veldhoven, says exactly that, what you're saying. He's talking about how in this modern age, there might be fewer people as a percentage of those in the audience who, are, who would consider themselves Christian, but they are way into Bach, and I mean, that's definitely a good starting point. <laughs> I mean, if it's, if it's going to be something, there's so much sacred music that's so excellent by Bach, of course, like we're talking about a lot. Now, the St. Matthew Passion is huge. It's around three hours long, depending on the performance. There's no way we can do an episode on the St. Matthew Passion only. We need to split that thing up. I mean, there's so many great moments in there. So, I know that Christian, you love this too. I love this, this work. Both of us have had the chance to perform it. And so, we have so many favorite things. We're going to get into those in future episodes. So, for this one, we'll just zoom in on one one moment from a chorale movement near the end. We need to talk about the format of this. It's a huge work. It's split up into 68 movements, so 68 shorter pieces. It's called an oratorio, which is kind of like an opera but without the stage dressing, and the props, and the costumes. But it does have characters. There is somebody singing the part of Jesus, and there is somebody singing the part of Pilate, and Judas, and Peter, and there's also somebody singing the Evangelist, which is basically the narrator. In other words, Matthew. This text comes straight from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the German translation of that. So there is a tenor voice that sings throughout as the voice of Matthew, narrating the whole story. But it's not just the Bible text here, and this is why this is such a powerful piece of music. Bach worked with a librettist, or an author and poet, named Picander uh, very frequently, and he worked with Picander here for this piece also. And the two of them came up with a structure where they would have some of the scripture text and then it would be followed by a verse of a hymn or a piece of poetry for a solo voice to sing. A lot of that was by Picander, but a lot of it was just edited by him. So there are three sources of text here. You've got the scripture, straight from scripture, spoken by the evangelist or by Jesus or Peter, etc. Then you've got the poetry by Picander, and then existing hymn texts that Picander and Bach chose for this. So, what happens is we hear some of the story of the gospel reading, and then we have the poetry that comments on it. Sometimes you'll hear the evangelist talk about what happened, and then you'll hear a solo voice that's called an aria, and that soloist's personal reaction to the story. And then sometimes you'll have a bit from the gospel reading, and then the choir will come in and interject with their own reaction to the story. Usually that's in some kind of reverent hymn sung in harmony, and we call those chorales. So many Lutheran chorales from the 1500s and 1600s that people would have known in this time that Bach used and arranged to be layered in here along with the story. So the arias with the soloist singing are these beautifully personal reactions, like watching somebody react to the story of the Passion and grappling with their personal feelings about the story. While the chorales are kind of a beautifully communal feeling. It's, it's almost like this is how we react. This is a stand-in for us, the audience. We're reacting to the story. One of my favorite examples is from the Last Supper, when Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, one among you will betray me." And they were very troubled and began, each one among them to say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And then we hear the hymn. We hear our own, or the choir's reaction to this. It is I, I should atone. I should be bound hand and foot in hell. The suffering that you endured, is suffering that my soul has earned
0: this commentary is what makes these passions so great rhetorically right it's not just that Bach took words from the Bible and set them to music it's that he took words from the Bible and had the the character of the evangelist sing them and other soloists sing them and play parts like Jesus and Pilate and stuff but then he had this great poetry that then commented And sometimes the choir sang it. Sometimes a soloist got to sing it in an aria. And it's just these great little pauses of reflection.
1: Yeah. Now let's get into the chorale that I chose for the moment today. I chose it because... It's the "O Sacred Head Now Wounded melody, which is a melody that I've always really loved. It's a very powerful melody, a German chorale tune, uh, which is a hymn tune that people going to see this for the very first time would have known and would have recognized. And it gets interspersed within the biblical story here. It's the melody that you hear the most during this whole work. It's used five different times. First it's used early on when the choir sings about Jesus being the source of our goodness in our lives. The first time we hear it, the chords are not that weird yet. They're pretty conventional uh, and the key is a little bit high, uh, Well, or medium, it's not. it's just not that low you'll see there will be a pattern here about the key changing between these different chorales. Jesus is the source of goodness in our lives. The next time it happens, it's the same chords, basically. It's the same harmonization, which means the chords are the same but the key is one half step lower. And here we have the part just after Jesus has told Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter says, no, I won't, I would never do that. Then the choir says during the chorale movement, we will never deny you, Jesus. We go a half step lower here. Each of these are gonna be just slightly lower for the most part, we'll see. The first one was this key. And now, the second one is this key. Those are both pretty early on in the work. Then, quite a bit further in, we get the third version of this hymn tune. The words are different this time. This one's about committing your life to Christ. But now we get a new harmonization, or a new arrangement. And we went down even more here. Then the fourth one is the time when we get to hear the O Sacred Head Now Wounded text, which is what uh, many of us might be familiar with if we know this tune. This time we get a little bit of a higher key, and the chords here starting to sound a little more tormented, like a cry against the tormentors of Jesus. I mean, right now, what we're getting in the passion story is Jesus being caused all this pain by the soldiers, and they're mocking him. And the song, as a response to that, is a song of empathy. As we're saying, we don't want this to be happening. We're feeling sorrow over Jesus' suffering. We get our last chorale just after the moment that Jesus dies This is the chorale that I picked for our Moment of Bach today It's in the lowest key we've heard yet for this tune Low and somber When ich einmal soll scheiden When I must depart one day, do not part from me then. When I must suffer death, come to me then, When the greatest anxiety will constrict my heart, then rest me out of the horror by the power of your anguish and pain. first thing you might have noticed if you heard the soprano part if you were listening to the melody up there is that the women were singing a slightly ornamented version of the melody there. So far not yet ornamented. That sounds a little bit more ornamented than before. The moment that I've chosen is the word Aller Here's how the melody goes right there. Now let's listen for some of the interesting inner lines. We talked in previous episodes about dissonance, about uh, torment and anguish being portrayed in music by chords that sound just off and just weird, and uh, they make you feel at unease, basically. Mm -hmm. And let's listen for some of the inner lines, kind of like we did in a previous episode of Jesu Meine Freude, where we listened to some of the alto and tenor lines. Here's how the alto line goes here. A little weird. Let's hear it. Now let's hear the tenor line Now I point that out because it's so unusual Normally these lines sound very melodic and lovely to hear But we hear that word alarbankston, which means anxiety. And you could even say that it means very anxiety, literally, or maybe anxiety of all anxieties, fear of all fears, the greatest fear. Talking about the greatest fear, the fear of death, when the fear of death will constrict my heart. Let's hear the bass voice now. if you were able to follow along with those voices and hear them after I played each one then congratulations because that's really tricky I mean that's one of the hardest things about singing in a choir is finding the little inner voices that are especially in something like this that are kind of dissonant I want to point out one inner line that I love so much and that's the alto line on the next particular line of music here sounds like this especially those last two notes. The words here will constrict my heart. You can just hear that constricting happening. Listen to that cadence there, which is the end of the musical line. We call that a suspension in music, when a note just hangs on too long but then falls to where it's supposed to go. Very emotional. When the greatest anxiety will constrict my heart, then rest me out of the horror by the power of your anguish and pain. When we pray to Jesus, we are asking a lot here. We're saying, when I feel the fear of death, give me peace by the power of your death. Because we know that by the power of Christ's death, we are saved. We have eternal life. And that means that we can be sure that after our death, it's not all over. But that fear will still be there, won't it? It's a lot to ask, isn't it? want to ask Jesus but that's the powerful prayer we hear. So what is it that makes this work so special and so emotional? I mean, we've talked a lot about why already, but I think it's very personal. It gives these personal reactions to the scripture and you can really connect with those as an audience member, instead of only hearing the story itself, which is an emotional story, of course, on its own. But the beauty and the sadness of it both is is just true pathos. It's just uh, true drama, and also the truth to the story. I mean, what do you think, Christian? I mean, what do you think is is so potent about this compared to everything else?
0: I think, for me, it comes back to the brilliance of the way the narrative is put together, the composition because it's it's so rich it's not like we said it's not just biblical text being set to music yeah it's also reactions to biblical text it's also very sprightly and captivating narration and then you've got these chorales like like what you have here with this one especially where the choir is like us and there's different characters Like, if you were to just read this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, there would be certain characters there, you know, Jesus and the disciples and so on. And sometimes the choir is those people in some of those furious choruses, right? The choir is supposed to act as a group of people or the disciples or whatever. But here it's like, we are the choir. The choir is a substitute for our reaction to the text. It's just so much deeper because of that.
1: Yeah, and kind of, going back to what I said on the jezu Froda episode, if you hear this piece and you see the choir singing this and this is their reaction to this story and you share this reaction with them, it's a deep, meaningful connection that you have with those people on that stage. And then if you hear this and you don't share that reaction with them, it still piques your interest. It maybe more than piques. Maybe it really fascinates you and to think, wow, this is a very strong conviction. This is a very strong belief. Maybe there's something to this, you know? Um, maybe there's something to the idea that all these people could agree. And, of course, I'm not saying that, like, literally, if you sing in a choir, you have to be a Christian or something like that. That's not what I mean. But I'm saying it's the power of the music and the words together. You can see that the strength of this belief, the reaction to the gospel story is so strong.
0: Right. It's it's almost like if you create something with enough passion, you know, no, no pun intended, in your work, then no matter what the prevailing belief system was to create it, as long as it was artistically created with such determination, that's always self-evident, right? And with Bach, it's, it's a, usually something like this with a religious conviction, although he wrote plenty of instrumental and secular music too, which is just as good. However, his his religious music is of such high quality that it's no question why it's still performed by so many people around the world, including so many secular organizations, too. But Bach has been sometimes jokingly referred to as the fifth evangelist, which I think is a little silly, but, but, but it does make sense. And the idea there is that there are the four gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and those are the evangelists. And Bach's musical work has been so um, religiously powerful for so many people that they, were, that they would even, almost tongue-in-cheek, call him the fifth evangelist, which I'm sure he would have hated <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, but it just goes to show how much power he wove into his works in terms of theme. The St. Matthew Passion is so thematically strong, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, and we we crave meaning. I mean, especially people who really like art or any kind of media, we crave meaning in it. And we, like you were saying before, you can tell when something is put together with such care and with such a message at the heart of it. There's so much disposable media, uh, but there's also so much that's great because it, it doesn't feel disposable because it has a core message and a conviction to it. That when you uh, see a performance or, or whatever, then, then you can really feel that. There's one quote that I really like that um, I'll play here for you, from one of the alto soloists, um, Tim Mead, about human emotion. All the best performances come from something you can find within yourself. I mean, all human human emotion hasn't changed really in hundreds of years. All the basic emotions of love, loss, jealousy, anger, are the same, and unless we walk through life in a constantly happy, a blind state, we all have these things in our own lives that we've drawn, and I think that's the same for any performer, actor, musician. Um, And it's vital that you bring those aspects of your own life into your work so you have a real grounded sense of reality, otherwise it's just pretend. And yeah, this is what makes good performances, channeling that human emotion so that it can be communicated to the audience. Um, I love what he says there too about human nature and that it hasn't really changed after hundreds of years. Emotions are still emotions. I mean, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that people so long ago, because they didn't have the modern things that we have with technology and medicine and our modern outlook on life and education and all that, that those people were somehow far removed from us in terms of like human experience, that they were simpler in some way or something like that. But really, it's universal human emotion. Everyone experiences some form of love and anger and jealousy and loss things like that in their life and everyone dies and everyone has had to think about death and the fear of death maybe the fear of fears the allerbankston that we talked about before of death but in a way bach takes this scripture and helps us connect with the message of death Um, like you said about him being the fifth evangelist i mean it's, it's a different kind of evangelizing, right? It's not, it's not literally the Word of God, but it's a way that it reaches us. It's a gift from God. I mean, it's the power of great music. When I hear this music, I feel like I'm there. When I read it, I read it and I understand it. When I, when I hear it, I feel like I'm there at the cross. So I think it's not that outlandish to say that Bach is one of God's great gifts to the world. God gave us Bibles uh, and translators of the Bible and and study Bibles so that we could read and understand the word, but he gave us Bach so we could feel it.
0: And now, here is that Aller-Bengsten moment from the chorale. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the St. Matthew Passion, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Also, please give us a review and a rating. We haven't mentioned this yet, but this would really help us out.
1: Yeah. Okay, Christian, what moment are we going to be talking about in episode 10?
0: We will be doing a second podcast on the St. Matthew Passion, where we look at a recitative, a soprano recitative, called Wie wohl mein Herz in Tränen schwimmt. Until next time, enjoy those moments.